Praise God, you tuned in to the Pursuit of God Ministry podcast series, where we keep our focus on the Word of God, that we may become better disciples of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in as we continue with Mark chapter 9. So last week, we took a little bit of a detour, and we talked about submitting to resist, and how in order for us to get to a place where we can actually start to resist the devil, the key really is the submission part to God first, because as we submit to God, uh, we allow his teachings, we allow his mindset, we allow his character uh, to come into the different compartments in our lives. And then we can, at that point, begin to apply those teachings uh, to the point that we can then start to push away the desires of the flesh uh, and things of that nature. Uh, so this week, we're going to jump back into Mark chapter 9. We're actually going to finish Mark chapter 9 today. And we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 50. Um, excuse me, a lot of verses, uh, but we'll get through it all. So without uh, wasting any further time, let's go ahead and get into this. So uh, verse 38 reads, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. Whoever gives us a cup of water to drink because of your name as a follower of Christ Truly I say, he will not lose his reward. Whatever causes one of these little ones who, who believes to stumble, it would be better for him with a heavy mill, if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. If, you, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than having two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire, where, the, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell where there the worm does not die and there fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where there worm does not die and the fire is not quenched for everyone who for everyone will be salted with fire salt is good but if the salt becomes unsalty with what will you make it salty again have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another so a couple different things going on here the first thing that i want to point out is that this is a continuation of uh not last week's podcast but the week before that where we were talking about the disciples and how they came to Jesus and they, well, how Jesus asked them a question, what were they discussing? And they didn't want to tell him what they were discussing because they knew based off of Jesus' character, based off of what Jesus teaches and things like that, that what they were discussing was inappropriate. Uh, but then Jesus brings out the fact that in order for you to be great, you have to become first the least of all and become a servant to all. So uh, here we have, um, here we have at the conclusion of Jesus basically correcting them or giving them this lesson, we have John turning around and saying, uh, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. Right now, what I find interesting about this is the fact that John was one of the three that went up um, on the mountain with Jesus when he was transfigured. And there God confirmed not only Jesus' identity as his son, uh, but he also gave them the command to listen to him, right? So moving forward, uh, they come down from the mountain 
And they deal with the issue with the Pharisees and the young man that said, Lord, help my unbelief. And then moving from there, uh, they start moving around and they end up in this conversation to see who's the greatest. And when Jesus corrects them, John is like, hey, we don't want to talk about that, but let's talk about this guy over here who was trying to do this thing in your name, right? This is what we tend to do a lot of times is when we are in the process of being corrected, uh, we want to be quick to point the finger and def- and deflect um, the correction from us and put the attention on something else. And that's kind of one of the, what John did here. Even though John was told by God to listen to Jesus, um, John instead uh, didn't want to necessarily hear the lesson that Jesus was teaching. Instead, he wanted to kind of put the focus on somebody else so that he would feel better about himself. And we've talked about this before where we don't, we don't like to see ourselves in a negative light. And so anytime we end up in a situation where we're being chastised or we're being corrected, uh, we feel that that's a negative thing. But the truth of the matter is, is that in in the process of us being corrected or in the process of our our shortcomings being brought to life, that's not necessarily a bad thing because the Bible tells us that he whom the father loves, he chases or he chastises or he corrects. Right. And even with that, it's when we're being corrected that we're also being held accountable uh, to to what it is that we believe or whatever it is that we've been taught. So, John. Instead of accepting accountability for what he was taught, he was quick to try to say, oh, skirt, right? And hit him with the Heisman. Um, But what we as disciples of Christ can learn from this is don't be afraid to accept when you are being corrected, right? If we really want to hear from God, if we really want to get to a place like we talked about last week where we can submit to resist, If we really want to get to that place, then we have to also get to a place where we're okay with somebody correcting us, where we don't take an attitude because somebody brings to us the truth, right? And I think about it even with with my line of work. We have different instructions and guidelines and regulations and policies that we're supposed to follow. And uh, I remember one day that uh, somebody who um, was over me came and they corrected me about having my hands in my pocket. And initially, I was like, yo, get out of my face, right? But then I thought about it. All that person was doing was making sure that I was accountable to what I was taught. So when we are in the things of God and when we're in the word of God and people are beginning to correct us or hold us accountable uh, for, for what it is that we profess, we shouldn't get upset with these people. We shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, tell them to go away. And we shouldn't, we definitely shouldn't try to skirt around the issue and put focus on somewhere else. Instead, we should actually take the time to self, uh, to self-reflect and self-evaluate ourselves to see, hey, am I pleasing God? Because like we talked about last week, right? You have two choices. Either, either you're going to submit and obey and you're going to show God that, hey, I'm choosing you, or we're not going to submit and we're going to do whatever it is that we want to do. And unfortunate for us, if we're going to submit to God, then we have to be willing and open to hear God when he's correcting us, whether it's through himself, through the word of God over the pulpit, or um, in in some type of whatever that we see. Because there's a lot of times I've been corrected, uh, but just simply walking down the street and seeing somebody who may be a cripple or whatever the case may be. And then I'm reminded, hey, God has been good to me. 
And that's not to say that God hasn't been good to the cripple, but it just reminds me that I'm, I could be, things could be worse, right? Uh, so, but anyways, so he says, hey, we found, John says, hey, we found this dude and he was trying to cast out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him from doing it. And as I was studying, uh, what, what got me was he says, uh, we saw someone casting out. And it didn't, it, you know, it, it doesn't say that they found somebody attempting to. We didn't, it doesn't say that uh, they found somebody trying to or that they saw someone trying to. It actually says that they saw someone casting out demons in Jesus' name. And then they went forward to try to prevent him um, from doing those things because he wasn't following them. I laugh at, at the pride in, in the disciples, right? And we've talked about this not only last week, but we talked about it the week before as well. That pride is going to be something that is going to cause us to move away from the things of God because pride puts it, pride puts the focus on us and it elevates us. And so he says, we saw someone casting out, actively casting out. Um, and the way I read it, I also read it that they were successfully casting out people in Jesus name. So when we go back a couple podcasts ago where we were talking about when Jesus asked the question, whom do men say that I am? And we talked about how people will see you and they will determine who God is based off of your lifestyle. Obviously, there were people who saw Jesus's lifestyle and they realized that they could have that, too. And they accepted him, his teachings, his character, and they began to follow whether they were inside the inner circle or not. They began to follow after him. They began to pick up their cross and die daily in order to follow him. And now they're to a place where they're exercising the, the, the authority of the name of Jesus in order to cast out the demons. Um, and, and what's interesting, too, is if we go back a little bit further uh, in chapter nine or yeah, when they came down from the mountain, the disciples asked, how come we couldn't cast out this demon? Right. So you have the disciples who were unsuccessful in casting out a demon, confronting someone who was successful in, in, in casting out the demons. And then trying to say, oh, well, you can't cast out demons because you don't follow us. You're not a part of us. This is where we get in trouble as people and as a church. Uh, a lot of church, in the, they, they instate this cliquish type mentality where it says, oh, well, we can't help you unless you're a member of this church. Um, and I've had that happen in two different states at two different types of churches for me in different things that I was going through where they were more concerned about me joining the church than they were about me actually getting the help that I need. So what we can glean from this as disciples of Christ is because uh, even Jesus goes on, he goes on to say, you know, hey, uh, if they're not against us, they're for us. We it's not our it's not our right. It's not our position to to cast away people or to try to shut down people who are doing what God has called them to do or who have accepted uh, the purpose on their life to go and do right. When we look at this man uh, who this nameless man that was casting out demons that the disciples are trying to kind of push to the side. Uh, when we go back, Jesus said earlier that anyone who accepts this, this child accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts God. And we talked about how God is going to put different people in your path. In order for for you to be, you know, for you to have a mission or a purpose with that person, and if we accept that person, we're really getting to the point that greatness is accepting God in your life. 
So this nameless man who is casting out these demons, he has gotten to a place of greatness because he has accepted what God has called him to do. And yet the disciples took it upon themselves to try to hinder and stop this person. So what I want to tell you, uh, whether you're whether you're new to what God is calling you to do or whether you've been in the church for a while and you've been doing what God has called you to do, stop getting in the way of other people and don't let other people get in the way of stopping you from doing what God called you to do. I think we're in a time now where people want to control uh, the word of God. And it's not even just now, but it's, it's, it's part of the reason why we had um, the great reform, right? Because back in the day, if you go back in the day, uh, first century Judaism, um, the religious leaders were the ones who were pretty much literate enough to be able to um, interpret the scriptures, where the vast majority of the people who came to the church uh, to hear the reading of the word, they weren't literate to read for themselves what it meant. So they had to depend on uh, the religious leaders in order to interpret what the word of God said to them. And so it was easy for them to institute things like penance, which um, which penance is basically the, the back in the day, the uh, the religious leaders would say, hey, um, your sin is going to follow you into hell. Or you know, it's going to follow you into the afterlife, even though you've received Jesus Christ or you receive salvation. Uh, but if you pay this amount of whatever, we can issue you a penance that will cut your sentence in purgatory down, so that you won't have to stay uh, there for so long, so that you can then in turn go into heaven. Right? Um, I'll post a link below for the paper that I wrote about penance. Um, but that was what they did, and because the people didn't understand the word of God for themselves. They believed it. And it wasn't until Martin Luther came along and he began to uh, transcribe the scriptures into the vernacular of the people so that the people could then have the word for themselves so that they can then begin to read it and understand for themselves. What am I getting at? For years, for centuries, for decades, for millennia, people have tried to take the word of God and use it as a controlling mechanism in order to control people. Right. And the book of Eli, there's there's a line in there. And it's, it's when I heard it, it blew my mind. But you realize the truth in it where they where the guy is trying to get the last Bible that is there. And he says, if I have the book, I can control the people. And, and what we look at is we look at a church at times where they look to control the people. And so when I tell you stop getting in the way of other people, and when I tell you do not let other people get in your way from doing what God has called you to do, what I'm getting at is if you are doing the will of God and you are afraid of someone else who is coming up or you look at someone else who is coming up and doing the things that God has called you to do as well, it's not your place to get in their way from doing what God called them to do. You do not control God's word. You do not control the, the final interpretation of God's word. You do not control the life of people who call themselves Christians, who call themselves disciples, who, who accept the mantle as a believer. You do not control their life and you should not think that you do so. On the flip side, if God called you to do something and you don't do it, the excuse that, oh, so and so stopped me from doing it, that's not going to fly. You have to know for yourself, and this is something that I've said over and over and over again, 
You have to know for yourself what God has called you to do. You have to know for yourself who God has called you to be. And you are then accountable for being and doing what God has called you to do. Period. Point blank. End of story. And it doesn't matter who comes in front of you to try to stop you. It doesn't matter their title. It doesn't matter their position. It doesn't matter how long they've been doing it. If God called you to do and he sent you to go, go, period, go. Don't let people stop you and stop stopping people from doing what God has called them to do. Right. Because when we get further, Jesus says, he says, if they're not against us, um, they're for us. And whoever whoever uh, does good in my name or performs miracles in my name, they can't speak evil of me. In other words, it's not up to you to interpret whether or not somebody is doing the will of God or not. Now, there are times when you can look at somebody and you can see that they're off. And at that point, yes, there's there is a responsibility on your life to go and correct that person, just like Peter was corrected by Paul, because Paul uh, saw that Peter was ignoring the Gentiles and he was only focusing on the Jews. And so Paul came and he corrected Peter and said, hey, the gospel is for everybody. Right. So it doesn't mean that we can't correct people. We are we are we we have a demand on our life to correct people. But it doesn't mean that we have a demand on our life to stop people who are doing the will of God in their life. And so when we get to verse 42, he says, Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes to stumble, it would be better for him if he with a heavy millstone hung around his neck had been cast into the sea. When you get in the way of people who are doing the will of God and you stop them from achieving what God has called them to do, it is better for you to jump into a sea with a heavy millstone tied around your neck or a heavy stone or a heavy weight tied around your neck. It's better for you to jump into the sea than to stop somebody from doing what God has called them to do. And this is where we go. This is where we sometimes go astray is that we feel that we're the police. You're not the police. You're not. You're not the police. You do not control God's word. You do not control the direction on people's life. You do not. What you are in people's life is a mentor. You're an advisor. You're a teacher. You're an instructor, right? With, because of how everything went down between me and my children and their mother, since we're no longer together, I had to take a different uh, a position in my daughter's life, right? I'm not there every day. So as a father, as a father who is there every day, I have a responsibility to be harder on my children and, and to correct them in everything that they do wrong so that when they grow older, that they're good to go, right? I, that's, that's the responsibility of a father, to teach them those things. But because I see my daughters so little throughout the year, I've had to take on a different role in their life. And, and that role is not a police officer, as it would be if I was kind of with them more often. But I had to take on a role of an advisor. So when my kids come to me, when my daughters come to see me and they spend that time with me, uh, I, I don't focus on the police officer duties that a dad normally has. Instead, I focus on the advisor side of things, helping them understand, hey, what did you do wrong here, sweetheart? Right. How could you have done this better? Did you think about this when you were doing this? I'm, I'm more focused on showing them how to cook, showing them, uh, uh, teaching them, you know, different character traits that they should be looking for uh, in people in general. 
getting them to understand that, you know, the moment is not as important as the, as the big thing, right? Because a lot of times we get focused in, in the moment and we can't see the entire picture. These are the things that I'm more so concerned about teaching my children now because I know that my time with them is so limited. What am I getting at? I'm not looking to control my daughter's every move. I'm not looking to control my daughter's every action. Instead, what I'm trying to do and what I'm concerned with is getting my daughters to be able to think for themselves so that they can stand on their own two feet as women. So that when they become 18, that they can go out and I can trust and believe that they know what they're doing when they go out there. As believers, as disciples, our position, our role is not to police the things of God. Our role and our position is to help advise the, those who, who are who are Christian, those who are believers, those who are disciples and don't know as much as we do. Our job is to advise them in the things of God so that they can stand on their two feet and they can move forward in the things of God. It's not to stop them. Right. And so when Jesus or when God told the disciples to listen to Jesus, for this is my son. And for John to get to the point to say, we saw this man casting out demons and we attempted to stop him. We failed to listen to God because God, he's telling us, go and make disciples so that they can go and make disciples. But if we are getting in the way of them making disciples because they're not doing it the way we wanted to do, is it about God or is it about us? And I think that's one of the places where we've lost ourselves um, as teachers, ministers, preachers, evangelists, and whatever other title you want to throw out there is we've lost ourselves because we think that we own the things of God. We don't. We don't. You don't. I don't. That's why I tell y'all, no matter what I teach on this podcast, it's still up to you to go in the scriptures for yourself and come to understand who God is to you. Because God may direct you in a path that is different from mine. See, the man that was casting out the demons didn't necessarily need to walk with Jesus the way that the 12 disciples did. But he was still out there casting out demons in Jesus' name. He was successfully casting out demons in Jesus' name, but he saw Jesus from afar off. Right? It's not about the church. It's not about the four walls of the church. It's not about the title that you carry. It's not about how long you've been a Christian. It's not about those things. What it's about is, as we talked about in Romans chapter eight, are you being led by the spirit? Are you walking in accordance with the spirit? Are you walking in agreement with the spirit? Have you submitted to God in the areas of your life that God can use you in that area to minister to other people? That's what it's about. Are you a are you an, an individual that God can count on to give a task and you complete it? Can you apply the things that you have been taught to pick up your cross and walk with it? Can you follow Jesus even when you're not around the bishops, the apostles, the deacons, the so forth and so and so? Do you only follow Jesus because he's in your presence or do you follow him or do you follow after God because that's who you follow after? Because you understand the truth that is there. Because when, when you are asked the question, who do you say I am? That you can answer that question in, in confidence to say, you are God. 
You are Christ. You are my Messiah. You are my Savior. You're my Redeemer. You're Jehovah Jireh. You're Jehovah Tiskanu. You're Jehovah Rapha. You're Jehovah Jireh. Like, can you say that for yourself regardless to who is around you? Because when we get into a place that we are causing other people to fall aside from the things of God, then we have gotten to a place where we're so prideful that even like the disciples was talking about who's the greatest, right? The only reason why you want to be the greatest is so that you can set the trends and the norms and things like that. When they were talking about who was the greatest is so that they could define what it means to be a follower. Cause that's what they tried to do with this, this person who was casting out demons. They wanted to define to him what a follower is, but Jesus said, get out the way because if you cause somebody to stumble, it's better for you to jump in the ocean with a big old, a millstone tied around your neck so that you will sink to the bottom and die because their blood is then accountable you every person that you cause to turn away from the things of God their life is on you so that when you stand before God you have to answer for that you are accountable for the people that you cause to turn away you are accountable for the people that you turn away you are accountable for the people that you bring to Christ you are accountable for all of your actions. And again, this has been a common theme throughout this entire year is the accountability that we as believers have to applying the things of God into our life and exhibiting the characteristics of Christ so that when we minister, that when we teach, that when we preach, that when we do whatever it is that we do, that we are accountable for the people who are there and we are accountable for sowing the seed in their life that God can then come back and water to see it grow. Our job is to plant seed. Our job is to plant seed and to let God grow it. We plant the seed, God will grow it. But when we think that we own every step in this process, that's when we go wrong. Because there are people out there who are doing the will of God they may not be as educated as you. There are people out there who are doing the will of God who may not have been in the church as long as you have been. And it doesn't matter. So the flip side to all this is, is if you are brand new to the things of God, it doesn't mean that God can't use you. If you've just been in the church for a year, it doesn't mean that God can't use you. God can use you however he wants to if you have gotten to a place where you have submitted to God and you have begun to resist the things of the devil in your life, that's when God can use you is when you are a submitted person. And so when we what we have, even looking at the scripture and even looking at today, we have people who are doing who, who, who are able to minister to people in ways that people who have been doing this for years are unable to do. Because they've committed themselves to the things of God. Because they for themselves have answered the question who God is. And they're not concerned about the title in front of their name. Do not be concerned about the title if a title sits in front of your name. Do not be concerned about whether or not you're going to get the glory or the accolades because of where you're at. Again, this is something that we've constantly talked about. If God puts you in a small hole in the wall, no nook church and you are doing great things in that church, then you are accomplishing the will of God in your life there. Don't let somebody else tell you that you're not doing the will of God if that's what God called you to do. Because the moment you take your eyes off of what God has called you to do, 
The moment that you have taken your eyes off of who you know you are, the moment you begin to question God in your life is the moment that the devil has a door to enter into your life to cause you to move astray and to fall away from what God called you to do. Every person has a purpose on their life. Every person was created with an intention in mind. And whether we accept that purpose and that intent in our life is up to us. But if you accept the purpose on your life, do not let anybody, I don't care who it is, it could be the pastor of your church. It could be the bishop of your church. If God called you to, excuse me, if God called you to do something and that is the purpose he's put on your life. And if he has released you to do it, then do it. Do not let people, I don't care who they are, mother, father, brother, sister, whatever. Do not let people stop you from doing what it is that God has called, commissioned and released you to do. Because you're still accountable to God for what you have been given. Because when you die and you stand before him and he asks you, why didn't you complete the task I put on your life? He's not going to want to hear, well, because my pastor told me it wasn't my time. He's not going to want to hear because my pastor told me this, because my mom said I was wrong. No, he's not. I told you. I communicated with you what I want from your life. That's what he's going to hold you accountable to. So don't let people, whoever they may be, whatever title they may possess, I don't care if it's the Pope. Hold another story. I don't. I don't agree with all that, but I don't care who it is. If God has called you and God has commissioned you and he has then released you to do his work, by all means, do it and do it with reckless abandon. Right. And so we move forward. Um, We move forward as I get ready to close. Uh, The last seven verses. From verse 43 down to verse 50. Uh, It's an analogy, right? And this analogy, we talked about it last week about um, our lust. It's our lust. We're drawn away by our own lust. And we talked about the lust of the eye, the pride of life, and um, the lust of the flesh, right? And so in these verses, he says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Because it is better be crippled than have two hands to go to hell in the into the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell. If your eyes cause you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire Don't let your lust drag you away from what God is calling you to do, right? Like we talked about last week, the devil, they always say that the devil comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. But when we read Job, we have very clear understanding. The devil can't, the devil can't kill us if God doesn't grant him permission, right? The devil can't touch our life unless God gives him permission. And even when God gives him permission, it's not even that he's giving him permission to have reign in your life. It's the fact that God trusted you enough to put you out there 
so that you could understand, so that he could he could be proven right by your life, right? But he 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 says all of these things. Uh, I'm sorry. He, he, the, the devil comes to still kill and destroy, but the devil can't do anything to your life without being given permission first. And so the, that what that tells us then is the Bible also says that he comes like L I K E. A roaring lion, right? And I did a teaching about this a while ago, and I come to understand that the lions, they don't, when they're hunting, they're not roaring. Because if they roar, it causes the prey to run away. But what happens is as the lions get older, the older lions will try to get as close as they can to their to their prey, and then they will release a roar, hoping that the animal that they or that the prey that they're after will stumble and become startled enough that it can that they can then get up on the animal and be able to take it over because they're not as fast as they used to be, right? So when when we read in the Bible that the devil comes like a roaring lion, it means that he has no power. He doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the the jurisdiction in your life to move the way that he used to. So what he wants to do is he wants to cause you to stumble, right? So if if the devil can't still kill and destroy us and all he has to do is to be able to make a loud noise to startle us, then what that really means is, is that the devil can only play off the lust that we talked about last week in our lives in order to cause us to draw away. He has to cause us to draw away. He has to cause us to give away the joy that we have. He has to cause us to give away our purpose in life. He has to cause us to give away uh, uh, the calling on our life. He has to cause us to give up on God. He has to call us to, to, to move away from God. He can't do it himself. So when Jesus says, it's better to cut off your hand, it's better to cut off your foot, it's better to throw away your eye, what he's telling us is that if we cannot get to the place where we submit in all the different compartments of our lives so that we can begin to resist these things, that it's hard for us to even get to heaven. Because all these things here that he speaks about removing the things that cause you to stumble, the things that the devil will play off of in order to draw you away from God, uh, the lusts that draw us away from God, these are the only tricks and tools that the devil has in your life. To pull you away. That's it. That's all he has. And if he can successfully pull you away because of the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of your eyes, if he can pull you away from God, he will. And so what God is telling us, like he was telling us last week, we can't resist the devil until we submit to God. We just can't. And so if we are going to get to heaven, then we have to understand that the things that feed our lust, we have to start removing those things from our life. Because everything that feeds the wolf of our lust starves the wolf of, uh, of the Spirit of God inside of us. Everything that feeds our flesh starves the Spirit of God in us. And as long as we continue to feed our flesh, we continue to starve our spirit. And as we starve our spirit, we prevent ourselves from understanding the things of God. 
As we starve our spirit, we prevent ourselves from, from, from applying the things of God in our life. As we starve our spirit, we prevent ourselves from going closer to God. As we starve our spirit, we put ourselves closer and closer to hell, which here it tells us that the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quick. So you will burn and feel the sensation of burning forever in a place that was never designed for you. We talked about that. Excuse me. We talked about that in the podcast before. That was never designed for man. It was designed for the devil and, and all the angels that chose to go with him. It was expanded to include us. Or should I say it was expanded to include those who do not choose to serve God. But it was never intended for us. And so the last part of this says, for everyone who, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt becomes unsalty, what will make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. Right? Salt is something that causes things to taste better. It causes food to taste better. Not only does it cause food to taste better, it brings out the flavor in other things. Not only does it cause food to taste better and bring out the flavor in other things, but it also preserves. So if we are the salt and we lose our ability to bring out the best in others, if we lose our ability to preserve others and to preserve our spirit, then we've lost our salt. And once salt becomes unsalted, it can't become salty again. So in all of this, God is telling us that point where we that point where we become unsalty is that point when God tells us, depart from my presence, you worker of iniquities. I know you not. That part where we become salty is when we walk away from God because of the lust that we have inside of us, the lust that the devil plays off of and feeds to us that causes us to stumble. The part where we become unsalty is when we refuse to cut off our hand that causes us to stumble. When we refuse to cut off our feet, that causes us to stumble. And when we refuse to remove our eye, that causes us to stumble. Bottom line, we submit to get to God. We resist to apply the things of God. But if we're not submitting and resisting, then we're giving ourselves over to the devil so that we can then basically make our home in hell and be separated from God forever. And with that, I end this podcast. If there was anything that was said during this podcast that may have been confusing or you want more information about, please feel free to leave a comment below or you can go to the website at www.pursuitofgodministry.com. You can find this podcast there and leave a comment there or you can click on the questions tab and you can send us an email that way. Also, if you haven't done so, please subscribe to us, uh, whether it's Facebook, iTunes, um, YouTube, uh, SoundCloud, uh, you know, whichever one, Instagram, uh, Twitter, we're on all different platforms for you to be able to subscribe so that you can get uh, this podcast and, and the information that I share from here uh, in whichever manner that is best for you. Uh, but again, uh, continuing uh, taking this message and, and, and connecting it with last week, submit, resist, submit to God, resist the devil. and He will flee. And when he flees, we get to a place where we don't have to be worried about uh, people stopping us or us stopping people from doing what God has called them to do or what God has called us to do. And with that, I hope something was said that was encouraging to you on this path towards holiness. And until the next time, thank you. God bless.